So good morning. Welcome to Epic. If you're new, my name's Trent, one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are ending a series called After Death. And if you're brand new today, just kind of stepping in for the first time, maybe here visiting family or maybe just here checking out our church for the first time, you stepped into what's going to feel kind of like an awkward message. Because what we're going to do today is we are going to answer some of the many questions that our church family has about death, about heaven, about hell, about what happens after we die. And that's kind of what we've been doing throughout this series is looking at this subject that affects all of us. The Bible says that all of us have an appointment with death, and Jesus taught everybody lives forever somewhere, and we need to be prepared for that eternity. So we've been looking at that throughout this series, and then over the past few weeks, we've given our church family the opportunity to ask any question that they have about faith, about God, about heaven, about hell, about eternity. And we got a a dump load truck full of questions. And so... um, For the rest of this year and next year, we're just going to answer those questions like a year long. Actually, we're not going to do that. I'm going to do my best to answer as many of those questions that I can answer today. And uh, a number of those questions were similar. And so we put those in categories. Um, Some of them were close enough that we we made that one question. Um, And then I took kind of the biggest number of questions that we had and, and looked through all the questions and then uh, kind of allowed that to form the message today and the questions that we are going to answer. So I'm not going to be able to get to all the questions, uh, but I'm, I am going to be able to get to a lot of the questions. And if you're new, I encourage you, go to our website, theepicchurch.com, go to our iTunes account, and listen to the last few messages in this series. That will help today's message make a whole lot of sense. Now, for everybody here, whether you're a note taker or not, I encourage you today to take notes. And we've provided a way for you to do that. So on your seat should have been a little note uh, paper and then a pen. Uh, If you don't have one, there may be one close by somewhere. Feel free to move around and grab that. Um, If you don't have one and have a smartphone, you can use your smartphone for taking notes. Again, you can always come back to this message and listen to it again. But we're going to cover so much information today. It's going to feel like a friend of mine used to say, it's going to feel like taking a sip out of a fire hydrant. So if you've ever tried to do that, Pucker your lips and get ready because it's going to feel a little bit like that today. Again, as we try our best to answer the questions that you've been asking about death, about heaven, about hell. Now, let me give you this disclaimer before we start. Um, When scripture is clear on something, when we ask a question, we open the Bible and there's a verse We may debate the interpretation of that verse, but we can trust that God has spoken in that moment. When scripture isn't crystal clear, then we need to lean into biblical principles that can guide us towards God's answer. We'll do a little bit of that today. Now, when scripture is silent on a subject, we all have to be careful because then we're standing on opinions And hopefully our opinions are based upon scripture, but we got to be careful because if we're just standing on opinions, we're on opinions only and we all know what opinions are like, right? 
They don't go real far. So we've got to be careful when scripture is silent. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to ask a question, give an answer, ask another question. Some of my answers will be short. Some of my answers will be a little bit longer. And again, I'm trying to get as much in as I possibly can get in. I'm going to be watching the clock periodically and checking to see how many of you have zoned out, maybe fallen asleep and think like, oh, this is horrible. If that's you, come back next week. Next week will be amazing. Okay. Everybody ready for question one? Got your pens ready? Your thumbs ready for typing, however you're taking notes. Here we go. Question one. Somebody asked, will we have bodies in heaven or will we just be spirits? That was actually a big debate in Jesus' day. There was a group of religious leaders that said, we are not going to have bodies in eternity. And then there were a group of other religious leaders that argued, we will have bodies. And the conversation came under the title of resurrection of the dead. So there were people who say, there's no resurrection of the dead. Your body's not going to come back and be reunited with your spirit. And there were people that said, yes, there is resurrection of the dead. Our bodies will come back and will be reunited with our spirit. So Jesus, in Matthew 22, he stepped into that debate and he gave his perspective. Verse 31, he said, but now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. So Jesus weighed in on the conversation and said, yes, our bodies will be resurrected from the dead. Our bodies will be reunited with our spirit in eternity. Now, another follow-up question is, when is that going to happen? So this is going to address somebody's question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So we're going to go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting verse 13. It says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So I want you to remember that little phrase. It's going to come up several times. We'll circle back to it in a minute. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of, an, of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now, there's some debate in the Christian community about what this passage is talking about. Some say it's talking about the rapture of the church. And the rapture of the church is this teaching that says that Jesus is going to one day come into the clouds and he's going to call all of his followers home before what is called the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period of time on earth where the Antichrist steps on the scene and it's just not good when he's here. Okay, so the rapture teaching is that Jesus raptures the church away before that. Now, others say that's not what this is talking about. Others say that, that this is specifically talking about Jesus' second coming. Jesus coming back to earth where he, he 
touches down on earth and then sets up his rule and reign for his kingdom. Now, I personally believe that this is talking about the rapture, but it doesn't really matter at this point. What matters is that at either the rapture or Christ's second coming, our bodies will be reunited with our spirit. Now, when it talks about believers who have died, other translations say believers who have fallen asleep. And so somebody asked this question and said, what does that mean? Who are the people who have fallen asleep? The answer is the people who have died. But out of that translation come the, came this, this theory that people thought in this concept of soul sleep, that when we die, our spirit goes to sleep and it stays asleep until Jesus wakes it up and then we go to be in heaven with Jesus. But as we saw last week in Jesus' story in Matthew 16, Jesus said, immediately when the rich man, immediately when the poor man died, they both went into an eternal experience. One went to heaven, one went to hell immediately. There was no soul sleep. Their spirit was very alive and well. So what's, what's being talked about here in this passage, I believe, is that our spirit will instantly be in the place that we have chosen. So if you're a Christ follower, you will instantly be in heaven. And then when Christ comes back for the resurrection or for the rapture of the church or his second coming, then he'll reunite our bodies with our spirit at that time. So when it says those who have died first won't meet those who are still alive, that means their bodies are going first. Their bodies are going to be reunited with their spirit first. So the rest of us, if we're alive at that time, we're going to have to wait. How long? Probably won't be long. And then we're not going to wait like hours. Like, come on, like, let's go get this thing going. Like, we'll, we'll wait. The, their bodies will be reunited with their spirit. And then phew, we're out of here together. So that's what the Bible teaches about that. Now, another question is this. What will our bodies be like? So will guys, will we have bodies like Arnold Schwarzenegger? And will ladies have a body like my wife has now? You like how I did that? That was nice, huh? Fit that right in there. Make sure you tell my wife that. All right, so I'm not sure about that, but 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he's not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. So those of us who are Christ followers will have a body in heaven like Christ's resurrected body. And we get a glimpse of what our bodies will be like by looking at Jesus' body and what he did with his body. So Jesus, at his resurrection, after his resurrection, he ate with his disciples. He allowed his disciples to touch him. He was recognizable by his disciples. He appeared and he disappeared. So we will have bodies like that and be able to do things that Jesus was able to do with his resurrected body. And our bodies will not suffer decay, not get sick, not suffer from disease, um, you know, that 10 pounds of turkey that you ate at Thanksgiving won't affect it. Um, so anybody excited about having a resurrected body one day? Like, yes, it's going to be awesome. All right, now, another question. What will we do in heaven? Now, uh, all throughout scripture, we get glimpses of what we're going to be doing in heaven. Revelation 5.13 says that we will praise 
God. Verse 13 says, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang blessings and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So praise will be a part of eternity. Revelation 22.3 says that we will serve God. It says that no longer will there be a curse upon anything. That's going to be an amazing day. No more curse. For the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants, meaning us, who will serve God, will worship him. Now, worship is a big part of an interaction with God, but it's much bigger than just singing. So for those of us who think, well, we're just going to float around on clouds all, all eternity, singing harps or playing harps and singing to God, um, you know, sounds kind of boring. Anybody who, th- who thinks that, it won't be an abor- a boring experience. So listen to what else we're going to do. And this is something that most often we think belongs in hell. We are going to work in heaven. Work came before the fall, came before sin entered the world. God gave Adam and Eve work in the garden and asked them to tend the garden and take care of the garden. That happened before uh, their choice to eat the forbidden fruit. So we will work and listen to, to some of these passages that talk about that. Second Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. Revelation 22.5 says, we will reign forever and ever. So as Christ followers, we will rule with Christ in his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6.2 says, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And verse 3 says, don't you realize that we will judge angels? Now, what exactly is that going to look like for us? What's it going to look like to judge the world? What's it going to look like for us to judge angels? What's it going to look like for us to work in eternity? I'm not really sure. But let's, let's just imagine doing what we would do on earth without conflict, without relational conflict, without any sort of jealousy, any sort of, of relational tension or relational pain or um, politics showing up in the work environment. Like, can you imagine what that might be like? Like, wow, that's going to be pretty fantastic. Can you imagine if you're a farmer working and there are no weeds and there are no thorns to work with? If you're a gardener, can you imagine living in a perfect environment where we don't have to deal with the consequences of the curse and the fall? That'll be a place perfection. Uh, We will also enjoy heaven like Adam and Eve enjoyed the Garden of Eden. So when Jesus told the, the criminal who died next to him on the cross, he said, today you will be with me. And he described it paradise. You're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't say, you're going to be with me in the place that is so eternally boring. Like it's just going to be horrible. It's going to be this horrible experience, but you know, you'll be there. So it'll be great. No, he he didn't say that. Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise. Uh, Verse we looked at last week, first Corinthians two, nine says, no, eye has seen no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So I want you to follow a line of, of thinking with me for just a minute. I believe 
that Jesus created everything in six literal days. A lot of debate about that. There's some people that say, no, he didn't create it in six literal days. He took millions of years. I'm not sure. One day we'll find the answer and God will tell us who's right or who's wrong on that. But just follow my thought on this for a second. So if Jesus created everything that we enjoy on this planet in six literal days, there's tons of stuff that I love about the earth. Anybody like living here in the earth? Like three of us really like living here in the earth. The rest of us one day, guess what? If you're Christ, probably you'll get to live in heaven. So there are some amazing things on this earth that we get to experience and we get to enjoy. There are things that I have not yet experienced that I want to experience. And Jesus did all this in six days. He's had over 2,000 years to prepare heaven for us. So do you think it's gonna be a little bit different, a little bit better maybe than our experience on earth? I think so. I think it's gonna be beyond our ability to imagine and comprehend. I think heaven's gonna be a place of learning, laughter, excitement, exploration, and it will never, ever get old, ever. Question four. Will we recognize our loved ones in heaven who are already there? I think the answer is yes. I think Jesus was recognizable by his disciples. They recognized him after his resurrection. And I think we will recognize uh, people who are in heaven, who have died before we have died, and then we show up. I think we'll recognize those people that we have known. Question five. Is it wrong for Christians to be cremated or should they only be buried? Now, this is a, a question I think that whether you've asked it out loud at some point or another, I think it's one that runs through everybody's mind if you're a Christ follower. Like, should we do that? Like, is that okay or, or not okay? And there's this thought that goes along with it. Like, is God gonna have a difficult time reuniting my body with my spirit if like, I've been cremated? Like if, if my body is just ashes, um, is God going to have a difficult time? Now, I think we, as we process that, follow that line of thinking, we could all say, okay, I don't think that's going to be too hard for God. If God can create everything that we know out of nothing. I think he's going to have a, a fine time putting our bodies back together. He's not going to say like, why did they like sprinkle those ashes at the ocean? Like, I just can't get it all back together. You know, why didn't they just put it in a box and it's much easier to work with? So God said that our bodies will return to dust. We came from dust. Our bodies will return to dust. I think God can work with cremated dust just like he can with buried dust. So it's just a matter of preference at that point. And then you also have to start thinking about other people and their death experiences. What about the people who died in the World Trade Center, buildings that went down? What about people who die in a plane crash? Uh, what about the astronauts in uh, the 80s that died in the space shuttle in uh, outer space? Uh, would we say to them, well, just make sure you don't die in that way because then God can't, you know, put you back together. Like, no, I don't think that's a reality. There are uh, Christ followers who've died, um, who've been burned to death, and God's not got any problem putting their body back together with their spirit. Another question, and this is a pretty common one. Uh, people ask this, will there be animals in heaven? And more specifically, more specifically, will there be pets in heaven? And often this question comes from a pet owner. 
someone who has a pet that's been very near and dear to their lives. And let me just ask this. Um, anybody lost a pet that was like a member of your family? I don't mean you flushed a fish down the toilet. I mean like, <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, I've had a number of pets and, and lost you know, several dogs in my life. And uh, our uh, yellow lab died a number of years ago. And wow. That was a deep experience for our family. That was a deep grieving thing because that was a family member to us. But people want to know, hey, is my pet going to be in heaven? So not really sure if pets are going to be in heaven, but the Bible does make reference to animals being in heaven. Uh, Isaiah 11, this is the Old Testament prophet Isaiah speaking about the day that Christ will rule and reign on earth. And he describes it this way in verse six. He says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, and dogs will happily frolic around while cats choke on an eternal hairball. Um, That last sentence was, somebody put that in there. I'm not sure. Must have been a cat hater. I don't know why anybody would be cat haters. I don't, I don't know. Sorry. I just like put that in there on purpose for a little bit of laughter in the middle of the service. Please don't send me any hate mail, okay? So I do believe there will be animals in heaven. Will your pet be there? I'm not sure if your pet will be there. There's some debate about that. Some people think yes. Some people think no. Not sure. Um, but I do believe animals will be in heaven. Another question, do people, uh, or do you believe that people who claim to go to heaven or hell and come back to tell about it are telling the truth? Now, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about uh, near-death experiences or death experiences where people come back other than Jesus. Uh, he didn't talk about describing you know, those experiences. We have Lazarus in, in the Bible. It didn't talk about describing his eternal experience. He just talks about coming back. And a quick side note, wouldn't it suck to be Lazarus? I mean, think about it. Like, like you're in heaven. It's perfect. You're in paradise. And then Jesus brings you back to one of the most difficult places to live and one of the most difficult time periods to live. And he's got to die again. Like, do you think maybe you'd say, Jesus, why? Like, really? Pick somebody else to come back from the grave. But me, leave me alone. I was doing fine. Sorry, just a rabbit trail. Now, when it comes to death, near-death experiences, I do believe those things happen. Um, And I do believe that people that are describing them are describing what they believe is the truth. Now, is that true? Maybe. May not be true. Not really sure. Um, again, if we're just talking about experiences, we're on the ground of talking about opinions and someone says, hey, this was my experience here. Like, I, I don't know. We can't all back that up. We can't confirm that. So we got to be careful here. I, I don't tend to put a lot of stock in someone's near-death experience. And there are some books out on that. There's some movies out on that. People say, hey, that is real because that person came back and said it was real. And I go, I don't know. Not sure. If it's backed up in scripture, I'll stand with you and say that part of what you're saying is true, backed up in scripture. If it's not backed up in scripture, we just got to be careful. If if something is different, what that person is saying based upon what scripture teaches, then I'll say, you know, that's not true. If it's just not clear, 
And we just say, I'm not sure. We'll find out one day. Let me chase this just for a second. Um, There's several movies out related to death experiences. And there was one a number of years ago by Robin Williams called, I think it was um, When Dreams May Come. Anybody remember that one? Okay, so if you don't know the story, he goes to heaven and it's just this crazy place. It's an amazing experience. He can do all kinds of things. And he finds out his wife's in hell. And so he goes on a journey to go get her out of hell. And if someone were to say, hey, that was my experience. I got to heaven and I realized that my family members were in hell. So I went to get them. I would say that didn't happen and that's not true. You may have had some sort of experience that you thought was true, but that's not true because that's not backed up in scripture. So again, we got to be just careful with that. May be true, may not be true, but we got to make sure it's backed up in scripture. Hopefully that makes sense. Another question. Do people get a chance to accept Christ just before their final breath? And then another question related to that was, will we get a chance to accept Christ at the great white throne judgment? So that was one of the things that we talked about several weeks ago in this series, the great white throne judgment. Now, I do believe that we get lots of opportunities to accept Christ in our lifetime. And before our final breath might be another one. It might be an opportunity. I think someone like, you know, the guy that died uh, next to Jesus, it was like a near-death experience for him, his final, final moments, and, and, and he uh, was able to put his faith in Jesus. But after we die, we get no second chance. We get n- uh, no other opportunity to make a different decision. The decision we've made on this earth will ring into eternity. Those who have made the decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior while alive on this earth will spend eternity uh, receiving the, the incredible rewards of that decision. And those who choose to reject Jesus on this earth will spend an eternity regretting that decision in a real place called hell. Another question, if a prisoner or a really bad person accepts Jesus on their deathbed, will they go to heaven? The answer is yes. We don't like that answer, but that's the answer. And the clearest biblical, I think, description we have, I've referenced several times already, it's the criminal who died on the cross next to Jesus. So there were two criminals that died next to Jesus. One mocked Jesus, and the other one recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He said, Jesus, you're the Messiah. He said in Luke um, 23, 41, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was a deep recognition of who Jesus was. So Jesus responded to him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, that criminal had no opportunity to get down off the cross and go live a different life. No opportunity to get down and go make restitution for the damage he had created in his life. In that moment, he recognized Jesus as the Messiah and he then would be given eternal life. Now, many times, we don't like that answer. That's, that's not an answer that we like, especially when we know someone has been evil, someone has, has just been this horrible person, done horrible things throughout their lives. And so we think, hey, if somebody does that, like they're getting away with all that horrible stuff and they're like slipping in the back door of heaven. So let me just remind of, uh, us of a few things. There is no back door to heaven, okay? Everybody comes in the front door. 
There's no secret code that gets us in. There's no magic words. God's not going to meet anybody in heaven and say, how'd you get in here? Like, really? Like, oh, you prayed the prayer. Oh, I should have thought about that. that I should have made it a little bit more difficult. There's no like way in the back door. Like, I, I'm just going to say these words right before I die. And then I'm going to go into heaven. And I got eternity on my side. It's not going to happen. What God is looking for is heart transformation. For someone to say, you know what? I've been evil. I've been wrong. I've done all these horrible things. I need a savior. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus, will you be that savior? If that happens at somebody's deathbed, then Jesus will welcome them into eternity. Again, we wrestle with that. We don't really like that. And sometimes we think, you know what? Then that means that they're getting away with all that evil stuff that they did. Not true. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. So no one will ever be able to get away with anything. We will all stare into the eyes of a holy God and give an account for our lives. The things that we've chosen, the good things, the bad things, the evil things. Everybody will answer for that. Now, someone asked, how can I minister to a friend who just lost her twin babies? And that was a common question of, hey, how do I help someone who, whether they're a believer or not, walk through the grieving process? What do I do when they're, they're suffering deeply with the loss of someone that they love? And this is a difficult one. You know, what do we say? What do we do in those moments? Often we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And so we, we do some awkward things or we, we, we kind of distance ourselves from that person or that situation. Hope, we kind of hope they get better quick. And in our um, uncomfortableness, sometimes we say cheesy Christian answers at the wrong time. Like, hey, just trust God. Everything's gonna work out for, for good. Is that true? Yes. Does that feel cheap when it's delivered at the wrong time? Yeah, I think so. So we got to be careful um, as people are deeply grieving, how we help them walk through that process. And, and we shouldn't try to push people through the process. What, like it's been a whole week since that person passed. You're not better yet. It's been a whole month. Like, like you're not back to regular life. Like we need to allow people to work through the grieving process. So one of the things I think we can say when someone's going through the grieving process is just, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. You know, at that point of the grieving process, I think that's really all somebody wants and, and really all that, that somebody needs. And if, if somebody in their pain kind of lashes out, and sometimes we do when we're in deep pain and we're struggling through a loss like that, sometimes we kind of say things that have barbs uh, in them and, and maybe somebody will say like, how could God ever do that? Or maybe they're not a Christ follower, but you are. And maybe they say to you, how could your God do that to, to, to me or this person that I love? I don't think you need to get into a theological debate about free will and eternity and God gave us the free will to choose and those choices lead to bad consequences for some people, not other people. I don't think we need to do that at that point. I, I don't know. What's the answer they need to hear at that moment is, I, I'm not sure. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm not sure how to answer that question. It's a good question. It's a big question. I'm not sure why that happened, why God allowed that at that Point. Just let people grieve. There's a great picture of this in scripture. 
It's found in the oldest book in the uh, Old Testament part of the Bible, the book of Job. I believe that was the first book that was written down. And it recorded a guy's life. His name was Job. He was the wealthiest person alive. He was a fully devoted follower of God at that time. And he lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his, his income. He lost his stuff. He lost everything. And um, it was a kind of a really rough experience for him. And then his friends found out. And they came to comfort him. In Job chapter 2, verse 11, it says, When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. And then it gives their names in the rest of that verse. But in verse 12, it says, When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. I think that's a powerful uh, thing for us. When we're helping someone walk through the grieving process, grieve yourself. Grieve with them, grieve for them. Know that they've lost someone significant in their lives. Be available to them. Be around them. Be as close to them as they want to be. They don't want you right there be a step away from right there. Just be where you can be available to them, helping in whatever way that you can. And this is a great uh, spot where you can write notes to people, um, notes of encouragement, even Bible verses that can be given. And when somebody's ready to absorb that truth, they'll absorb that truth as they're working through the grieving process and always be open and aware and looking for that opportunity to insert biblical truth that will help that person continue to grieve forward and and move through the grieving process in a healthy way. So there are very appropriate times to insert biblical truth into that person's life and have a conversation with them about uh, why did that happen and how could God use this? How could anything good come out of this? You can have great conversations when they're ready. So just be observant, watch and see when they're ready and have those conversations at appropriate times. Another question. What happens when babies and young children die? Do they go to heaven? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us that we're saved by grace through faith alone. So we have to be old enough to make a faith decision. And infants and young children aren't old enough to make a faith decision. And so infants and young children who die before they're able to make that faith decision go straight to heaven. Now listen to how King David dealt with this with his own son who had died. In 2 Samuel 12, 23, he said, I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. So David said, listen, I'm going to see my son again. I'll see him one day in heaven. Uh, now, there, there's a belief in some faith systems that uh, encourages people to baptize infants, believing that if they're baptized and die, then they'll go to heaven because of that baptism. Um, but salvation and baptism are two separate things. Salvation is the decision that we make to follow Jesus. Baptism is what just follows that to show God in the world that we've made that decision. We have to make the salvation decision on our own. Nobody else can make that for us. We have to make it by ourselves. And then we have to proclaim to, to God in the world 
our baptism happens later. Salvation and baptism are two separate things. And that's why here we don't do infant baptism. We do child dedication, which is really more of a parent dedication. So um, hopefully that clears up a little bit of that. Another question. What will happen to people who have never heard about Jesus when they die? Will they go to heaven or hell? Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have, what are those next two words? No excuse for not knowing God. That means no one has an excuse for not knowing God. No one can say, well, no one told me about Jesus. No one can say that. That's why Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you so we have a responsibility to go everywhere telling everyone about Jesus and what he has done for them. Now, if someone is in a very remote part of the world, Never heard about Jesus. No access to technology, nothing. In some like remote, primitive, primitive tribal setting somewhere. And if they look around, they look at creation. They look at the sky, they look at uh, the land, they look at trees, and, and they make this conclusion. You know what, I think there's someone else out there that made this. I don't know who that God is, but I want to know that God. I think God will reveal himself to them. I think God will do something, send somebody. He will make it possible for them to have eternal life. Second Peter 3, 9 says, God does not want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to repent. Last few questions. Everybody still okay? You hanging? You, you with me? Anybody falling asleep yet? If the person next to you is asleep, just let them sleep. Um, <laughs> Jesus will raise them the resurrection of the dead, okay? All right, what happens um, to other people of other religions who don't believe in Jesus as their savior? What happens to them when they die? So Jesus answered this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus said there is one faith system, one faith that leads to eternal life, and that's faith in him as our personal Lord and Savior. And someone asked a follow-up question related to this, and they said, how can we know that the Bible is true over other religions that claim to be true, like Islam or Hinduism or whatever? Now, as you study faith systems, you'll notice they are very different. They make very different claims. And, and I would encourage you, if you're a, a person who says, like, I don't know enough about what Christianity teaches to, to know how to compare it with other faith systems in the world, I would encourage you to study what Christianity teaches. Let me tell you what Christianity is based upon. It's based upon an event. It's based upon Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Christianity is the only faith system that is built on a God who died so we can live. It's the only faith system built on that. Um, no other faith system makes those claims. And so I really encourage you, uh, if you're at a spot of studying and you want to know more about that, here's one book, at least one book that you can study. It's called Kingdom of the Cults. It is written by Walter Martin. 
This book summarizes the differences in the major religions in the world, and you get to kind of explore those together, kind of compare them side by side and see what they say. And I encourage you to do that if you've never done that, explored that. Another question, can we really know for sure that we're going to heaven when we die? Uh, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 5. He said, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And get this, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I think it's possible for us to know We have eternal life. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wander around questioning, worrying about whether we're going to have eternal life or not. We can know with confidence that we have eternal life if we have the Son. And so uh, you've had a chance to ask a lot of questions in this series, so I've got a couple of questions for you. Do you have the Son? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you have you have eternal life. If you haven't, you can. You can still make that decision. And I encourage you to make that decision before you take your last breath on this earth. I encourage you to explore what Christianity teaches. Explore what Jesus has done for you. And I hope that one day, could be today, I hope that one day you'll say, you know what, I believe Jesus, you died so I can live. And I'm going to invite you into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to ask you to teach me how to become a fully devoted follower of you the rest of my days. If you're in a spot where you've never made that decision before, today could be the day for you. And I'm going to kind of guide through a prayer in just a minute. But I really do encourage all of us to study this stuff more. Don't just take my word for it. I'm just the bald guy on stage who's you know, trying to grow a beard, not really sure it can really grow in. Don't just take my word for it. Study this stuff. And here's some ways that you can study. Here's some books that I recommend to you. Um, They're on your little note paper, uh, but if you don't have a note paper, here they are. So we've got Heaven uh, by Randy Alcorn. Um, it's, It's kind of a bigger book. It asks and answers a whole lot of questions that I did not cover today about the reality of heaven. The next book is called, it's a smaller book, it's called One Minute After You Die, and it's by Erwin Lutzer, not by Erwin Luther, Erwin Lutzer. Then the last book I recommend is Erasing Hell, What God Said About Eternity and the Things That We've Made Up by Francis Chan. Some great resources that you can dive in. If this stuff is of interest to you, if you've got friends that have questions related to this, dive in so that you have answers that you can stand firmly on. Now, I know we've covered a lot today. Um, I'm grateful for your attentiveness and hanging in there with me on this. And uh, would you just pray with me as we close? God, we have a lot of questions and you have a lot of answers. And I'm grateful for those answers, Lord. I'm so grateful for, especially when uh, there's something crystal clear in scripture that we can stand on. But you don't always answer everything crystal clear. Sometimes we're, we're leaning into biblical principles. Other times uh, it's kind of silent in scripture on a subject. And so, Lord, we're trusting that you've got an answer and we're searching for that. 
And so, Lord, I pray for all of us as we continue on this journey of studying this, Lord, this is one of the most important subjects for us to have a handle on. And that's not just our death, but what happens after we die. Lord, we all need to to realize that we're all going to live forever somewhere, either with God or apart from God. And and you've left that choice of where we end up in our hands based upon what Jesus did for us. So, Lord, we've got to study this. And there are some people who need to do a little bit more research on that before they get to a spot of putting their faith in you. And yet, God, there may be somebody here today who says, you know what, I'm, I'm at that spot. I'm ready for that. I believe what Jesus did, and I understand that he's the only way. So if you're in that spot, I just encourage you to, to right now, just tell God, like, I believe Jesus, you're the Savior who died so I can live And I ask you to to come into my heart and be my personal Lord, my personal Savior. And Jesus, I ask you to teach me how to become a fully devoted follower of you. And Lord, I know that somebody maybe has prayed that prayer, that you're going to come into their life and you're going to guide them in a true transformation, a life transformation, how to live in the way that brings great honor and glory to you. So Lord, continue to guide us on this journey as we're learning more about uh, this information, how we can stand confidently on your truth as we interact with a world, a culture that needs honest answers for honest questions. In Jesus' name we pray all this, amen. All right, everybody, before you leave today, let me tell you what's coming next week. Next week, we are gonna start our Christmas series And I know it's a little bit weird to think that it's about Christmas time, but it is. So we're going to start our Christmas series, and we're going to be working down towards Christmas Eve as we look at the Christmas story in a new way this year. So I hope you'll come back for that. Invite your friends, invite your family to come back, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks for being here, everybody. Have a great Sunday.